Welcome to Dine with the Divine. My name is Ashley. I'm your host, and today we'll be exploring the magical, the mystical, historical, our ancestors, everything, and everything in between. So on today's episode, we're going to be traveling all the way to the Middle East, and we're going to get to talk about two really cool ride-or-die ladies. Coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back. Um, so on today's show, I'm very excited. We're going to welcome in Reverend Joya Sosnowski. Reverend Joya is a channel for a powerful channel for the power of sound vibrations and sacred oils to help people live their best vibe. She is committed to bridging spirituality, science, and psychology through her studies of quantum and and neuroscience and through her studies of the Aramaic teachings of Yeshua. In addition to her certifications and continual studies in the realm of sound healing, she is a Divine Sciences New Thought Reverend, a USM spiritual psychology coach, and a certified mindfulness trainer. Her mission in life is the liberation of suffering and to see the nafsha, nafsha or soul self awaken and express in every human being. I love that. She's the author of Practical Spirituality, 15 Practices for Bringing Heaven to Earth. Also love that. She leads sacred retreats for women to sing, drum, and embody their divine self at sacred sites around the world. Okay, so I saw you on Instagram and I just love, like your whole vibe is so beautiful. And I was like, I just have to talk to this person. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you just have like a great every I don't know. It's so funny because like Instagram and social media, it's like it really means nothing. But there are some people who you see and you're just like, wow, they really truly express who they are through these like online medium, which is nice. Instead of just seeing things that like make you sad or whatever, you express it in a really nice way. And I really just enjoyed looking at your page. That's why I was like, oh, let me see if I can reach out to this person. She seems really, really nice. So a couple questions for you because all your biography, like there's so many interesting things in it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I have to ask you about everything. So, <laughs> so, um, so first and foremost, what put you on a path to this like kind of spiritual life and this kind of awakening that you seem to have had and it's just really beautiful. So what kind of put you on the path to doing that? Mm. Oh boy. Well, uh, honestly, I I know that I've always been spiritual, but it just went dormant mm -hmm. when I was a kid and probably when I, you know, I remember being really young and being very spiritual, very connected to guides and angels and especially Mary Magdalene. Like I used to play with her in the woods and I wanted to be a priest when I grew up. I used to line up my stuffed animals and play church with them. And, um, you know, and, but then due to a traumatic childhood in my teenage years, all of that just went out the window mm. and I was in survival mode. Right. So, yeah. you know, after I had, I had a near death experience when I was 21 from a suicide attempt, mm. and I heard the most beautiful music of heaven that I've ever heard in my entire life. And I would like to say the next day I picked up my sound bowls and became a sound healer, but that's not what happened <laughs> at all. <laughs> my stubborn self went on a mission of healing, but I was trying to heal rationally, logically. I was trying to heal with my mind, right? Mm -hmm. I was trying to heal from the point of the ego and trying to solve the problems of my spirit, the problems of my soul, utilizing my mind. And so fast forward to having babies, getting married, 
a career burnout, all of that pretending to be perfect, like that whole fake facade that people do that I did. Um, I had a stress induced nervous breakdown about 12 years ago, and I found myself again feeling suicidal again on the verge of um, just total emptiness. I was drinking a lot, Mm. keeping myself super busy. I was eating a lot, like anything to numb and check out. And I had two small kids, so that Mm -hmm. was just not exactly the best modeling, right? So then, of course, the voice in my head, because of the things I was doing, the voice in my head that was always my worst enemy was saying, you're a terrible mother. This is, you're just like your mom, your children don't, you deserve, they don't even need you. They deserve a better mother. So I was like going off the deep end. Mm-hmm. And, um, thankfully, I discovered mindfulness-based stress reduction. And so I took an MBSR course. And in that eight weeks, I noticed such a profound change in my noticing of my thought processes that I just threw myself into mindfulness. So I'm getting around to answering the question because it's that's funny. okay. I have now like 17 <laughs> other questions to ask you. <laughs> this is fascinating. It's important because it's like it, this hint, this became like the whole focus of my work because then what happened was after practicing mindfulness and meditation, I accidentally woke up. I accidentally mm. became spiritual. So it was very, very, very unexpected for me to arrive at the place. And I literally, literally remember the first day I was going to make a spiritual post on my Facebook page where up to that point, I had been like neuroscience and mindfulness and this and facts and data and, you know, the whole brain thing. And I was like, God, and uh, it was a totally terrifying leap for me to take, which is so funny because now if you see my Instagram, you can't even imagine that I would have <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about God. But, <laughs> but it just became like, you know, I really came to feel like the, the mind can only take us so far. And then we come to this threshold point where we have to take that leap where spirit takes us the rest of the way. It's like, you've gone as far as you can go with the thinking mind, with the ego, with the noticing, with the awareness. And now are you going to surrender to something else that you don't, you can't explain? And I said, yes, I'm going to, I will do that. And it's, and that was in uh, September of 20, 18. And then by September of 2019, I had already changed so much. That was when I decided to stop dyeing my hair. So in that year, I changed a lot. Um, But then from 2019 to now, I'm like literally a different person. Oh, my God. I I just everything you said is like, yes, 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 yes. Um, (laughs) Okay, so oh, my God, so many things. So first of all, I love like, I feel like so many. Okay, first of all, like society, like kind of like you said, you're like, are you, you know, you did everything that you were like supposed to do. And society tells us that and people get so I me too. I've gotten so stuck in that sometimes. So then when I'm not where I'm supposed to be like, oh, I didn't have kids yet. Or I didn't get married or whatever. You start to really feel like you're failing. And like so many people end up staying in that place. You know what I mean? And end up with like, so many more problems because they thought that they're supposed to be this person when like you are supposed to be whoever you were supposed to be you don't have to do everything the way everybody else told you and also kind of like what you were saying i've been at that place too where it's like i literally have been trying to figure this out and i cannot figure out what to do so i'm just gonna like let go i always say let go and let god because like i have i don't know like, like this is beyond me at this point like i can't earthly me can't fix this so like i need I need supernatural intervention. <laughs> like, like, 
I mean, like the only thing that will that will help. It really, mm -hmm. yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So like, I, oh my God, your story is just really interesting. And I feel like that resonates with a lot of people. And a lot of people, unfortunately, sometimes don't get to the point where they can admit to themselves that they can't handle it, you know? And then they always think it's like them. They're like, oh, it's like kind of like you were saying, you're like, oh, you got to a point where you're thinking like, oh, I'm a bad mom and thinking all these things. It's like, no, it's just like you have a lot. There's just a lot going on. And sometimes you just need something. Some and I think it's different for everybody. But you were lucky and blessed to find what you needed, and to then have it evolve to even make a better you, like to make a even more healthy, beautiful, even greater version than you. And I, that is so honorable. Like I love, I love that about you. Like that's fantastic. I'm so glad that. I've gotten to know you already. Like I feel like <laughs> I feel like this is great. Like that that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And, and you um, know, the interesting thing I just want to say is absolutely. I don't I don't feel like I've become a better me or a different me. I feel like I've returned to who I already always was, and I just stopped being all of the things of my ego i stopped being my wounding my wounded past i stopped being a story of my trauma i stopped being a story of my epigenetics that were passed down from my mom from her mom from her mom from her mom i stopped i stopped being all of those stories all of those things all of those false beliefs everything put on and it really honestly feels like to me and maybe it does to you being a spiritual woman too that that I feel like I've actually woken up. Like when they say awakening, I'm like, it feels like I awakened to this true self that's always been there all along. Like there's a sense of familiarity about it. Yeah, I, you know what? That is so, so true. And like, when you're saying that, I'm like, yes, that really does resonate with me too, because I felt like I definitely, I was actually having this conversation the other day. I feel that a lot of people carry they label themselves kind of like you're saying just now they label themselves by their traumas by you know their ancestral traumas and it's like you kind of and i've done this i ended up kind of living that and like anything anytime something bad happened or like it didn't work out i was like well that's just because nothing works out for me and like this is just how it is and like i really was like living my trauma and just being like well this is how it is and like not realizing that number one, I was just being a victim all the time. Like, and I continuously victimized myself. Right. Yeah. And then also I always had to be this like martyr. Like for me, it was like, I would do all these things and then be like, oh, nobody cares about me. Nobody wanted to help me. But it's like, I also just didn't have to do it. But I was continuous, continuing like my own trauma because I like didn't know how else to deal with it. And not being in this place of like anger that I was in, I didn't know how to not be that. And I didn't know what I would have been. I was like, I'm afraid. And I realized that when I started to kind of become more spiritual and learn more about myself and my ego, I realized how fearful I was of not being angry. Cause I was like, if I'm not angry, who am I? I've been angry for so long. And like, that was so, I had kind of, I had almost like a spiritual nervous breakdown. <laughs> Because like I was working with a mentor and I got to this place where I had to like kind of confront some childhood stuff. And 
realized that like I wasn't the person who I thought I was. I was like, oh no, I'm keeping it together. Like I was not keeping it together at all. Like I was doing a terrible job. Everyone saw I was doing a terrible job, except me. I was like, no, everything's fine. Everyone's like, okay, girl. Wine to our stuff. It's so funny. I'm like, nobody knows that I'm drinking wine at three o'clock every day. Nobody knows that. I know. Even when same, like when I was away at college for a while, I was like, oh, I'm fine drinking 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 when i wasn't somebody who drank that much but like i couldn't stop. i was drinking and i was like no i'm fine i would go home like every weekend because i was miserable but um my mom was like yeah i thought something was wrong with you i was like really she's like yes you were miserable like you were so unhappy you were arguing with everybody all the time so it's like yeah we're also we're so blind and when we're trying to cover it up we think we always think we're doing a great job but everyone around us is like, oh my, is she okay? Like, what's going on over there? <laughs> like, those are the, that's the amazing way that the ego tricks your own self, right? Mm -hmm. It tricks you. And then it's got all these different masks that we hide behind. And it can be like mine was, I'm going to be cold hearted and intellectually intellectual, and I will just out rationalize you in any argument. Yeah. Versus, versus angry. I bet people are angry or the over emotional victim. You can't say anything to them because they're just going to start crying and you're afraid <laughs> to say anything to them. Yes. So there's like all these different ways. And I just really want to like commend you for taking personal responsibility and seeing you're like, oh, I mean, you're so young and for you to already pick it up and be like, oh, maybe it's me. Like, oh. that's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It Trust me. It took a while and it took a lot of crying for me to be like, huh, maybe I'm actually doing some of the, some of this to myself. And I think that I learned so many lessons about like meeting people where they're at, sometimes realizing that some people are just the way they are. And sometimes you either have to just be like, I'm cutting this person off and I'm not going to deal with it. Or you have to kind of accept it. You can pick one, either one is fine, whatever the person's situation is, but like, you gotta kind of work through things and not because the more you ignore certain things the worse it gets like so i used to be a very like i'll just put this on the back burner and then one day everything just like ooh, boiled over but um those tolerations right it's like that what, what we tolerate is what rules our life really. ooh. so it's about not tolerating like taking those tolerations off that we don't first and foremost we don't tolerate it from ourselves. like we don't mm -hmm. sacrifice our well-being for somebody else's well-being that just doesn't make any sense i know and for so long i thought that sacrificing myself was like love for other people i was like no this is how i show i love people it's just like i do all this stuff i burn myself out i cry all day because i had to do all this stuff but it's just because i love them but like that's not love and at the end of the day i feel Ter terrible and if people the people who do really love me don't want me to do that like exactly yeah like, what did you find when you were in that energy that you attract energy vampires oh oh <laughs> so i used to and my mom will like say to this day i used to say to my mom like but like i feel like all i do is give to people and they don't give me anything back and my mom's like well you don't have to do that and i'd be like no but i have to because i want to be nice and like you know, it just, but it took me so long to realize it. And then I did have so many people in my life who I ended up cutting out because I realized like, wow, these people actually make me feel bad. Like <laughs> they're not making me feel good. And I'm, I'm pouring out for them for no reason. And, you know, there's people, of course I pour out for people I love, but eventually 
you're just like, oh, these people, they don't love me back. And all they want to do is take, take, take. So I'm like, I have to let that go. Like it was too much. Yeah. And you know, the ones you have to let go when you start setting boundaries and they don't like it. Oh, right. <laughs> that is the truth. When you start, I realize so many people, the people who I like, especially friends, like people I'm friends with, when I started setting boundaries, I had so many people fall off and it was beautiful. I didn't realize it because I'd be like, oh, you know, I don't talk to so-and-so anymore, but I realized, wow. And then the people who I do set boundaries with, and they're like, yeah, girl, whatever you need. Like, that's fine. Okay, cool. It was like, wow, like you care about me and I care about you. This is how real relationships are supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is amazing. <laughs> I know. Um, oh, so I also wanted to ask you what, okay, so you um, are new thought, new thought reverend. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. What is what is new thought? I was just so interested. I didn't know. I don't know anything about that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, new thought came around in the late 1800s, what? and it's pretty much the teachings that everybody's espousing now. The law of attraction, mm. like all of that stuff, came about in the 1800s. The the um the new the new thought divine sciences, which I love so much. These sisters started this in Denver in the 1800s, and they were very much about the omnipresence of God is everywhere and in everyone and in everything. And it's mm. in us and that we are living expressions of the one source creator. And when I, I remember when the first time I read that, I was like, this feels like it makes so much sense to me. This feels like it was what Jesus was trying to teach us when he was like, you guys are it, you have it in you. <laughs> it's like you can do all these things and greater things than I can do. So the new thought teachers are like um, all of those old timey teachers from the early 1900s, late 1800s, like uh, Troward, the guy who wrote um, uh, Think and Grow Rich, like during that whole time, right? So these are all of these teachers, these new thought teachers that came about. But now, 100 years later, it's now picking up uh, steam and energy that it's like in the common language now for everybody. And I'm like, this is so great. That's, so yeah, that's who they are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's like a lot of the thought that like, uh, get me, tell me if I'm wrong, but like the divine lives within us. And like, you know, I feel like, especially back then, that was probably so radical. Oh, it was so <laughs> People were probably so mad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. It's like, oh, you, and yeah, those were the people that were, people were probably like, you're going straight to hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were like, wait, we don't like, cause I feel like. I feel very strongly about like, yes, the divine being part of every person. And also like people pray so much like, oh, we're just gonna pray to this God, pray, pray, pray. But I'm like, well, if God is part of you, number one, however you feel and however you're made is is good. Like there's something good, even if you feel like you do bad things or whatever. Um, but also it takes away that fear. Some like I, yeah. you know, a lot of churches and and not just Christian churches, but all over the world, different religions, they rule by fear. You oh. will go to this bad place when you die, or this terrible thing will happen when you die. You'll come back as this or whatever, and it takes away so much of that fear. It's just like, oh wait, I am part of the divine. So if I'm just like cool, <laughs> like everything will be fine. <laughs> and if I just think well and try my best, okay. Yeah, it's in you, right? So it's like um, my favorite way of saying it was comes from another New Thought teacher, um, John Randolph Price, and he said, I was like, that's it right there. And he said, God is all of me, but I am not all of God. 
So it mm. takes off that whole thing like I'm so like it takes the ego out of the equation. It's like yes. I'm a, I'm the sunbeam of the sun. I'm a drop of the ocean. That doesn't make me the whole ocean. I yes. have all of the ocean in me. Its ingredients are in me, but I'm not the whole ocean. And I feel like the same thing is true of God that I'm like God is in me. I God is in you. Mm -hmm. we, have that, we have that source in us, which means we have access to it. We can tune into it and um you know, like my whole work now is like your body is a spiritual technology. That's exact. I'm like all of my studies in neuroscience and all of my nerding and geeking out for <laughs> 20 years. I'm like, oh, that was why. And so I could explain it and see and connect it that I'm like, oh, the body's a spiritual technology. We are we're wired to be connected to source when we get our thinking ego out of the way and we stop thinking that we're it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it's so funny, like the amount of now you obviously have studied things like this, like neuroscience and quantum stuff. I don't get it, but you are a very intelligent person and I admire all the people who do. But all I know is that I hear it, like people talk about quantum physics and stuff and it makes it, I love that people are studying that, especially people who are kind of spiritually inclined because it really is bringing that bridge to people be like, well, I don't get it. There's no like science and faith, but I'm like, no, but there's tons, I don't understand it, but there's tons of people who are studying it and it sounds like, there's, you know, correlation. So it's really, really neat. Yeah, I just have it as, you know, people, ancient spiritual teachers who've been teaching this stuff for eons, learned it through lived experience, through practices, and then they became it, right? So they, yeah. became, they got in touch with this energy. And so then as scientists study all this stuff, then all they're doing is validating what spiritual teachers have already known from lived experience. <laughs> they're just explaining how it's done. Although, except in the case of quantum physics, they're pretty much like, we don't know. We have no idea. We don't know. We just know that this is what happens. And all of us spiritual people are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're like, well, we we kind of know. They're like, yeah, but it's a mystery. We're like, well, it's kind of a mystery, but I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's, I love that so many of them have come to the conclusion that there has to be a creator. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just so mathematically perfect. Yes. It's so mysterious and so vast and incomprehensible that they're like it's just not it's not all an accident. There's no way. Yeah. It's it's insane. Even when I was in like college, I took like anatomy, and when I was learning anatomy, I would be like, "What? Like every the way everything is just connected in your body and works together." Yeah. I'm just like, "This is." insane <laughs> it makes no sense like that somebody was just like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna your heart's gonna pump this way but it's gonna deliver all this blood to all here but then it's also gonna do this and then this is it's like come on like it doesn't no person is this smart <laughs> just, right to create that exactly yeah there's no still way. exactly there's things in your body that people still doctors still don't understand why it happens they're like this just happens sometimes it's insane mm -hmm. Yeah. And there is no such thing as junk DNA. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, it's, it, it got disconnected somehow, but it's not junk. No, <laughs> everything, everything has a purpose. And that's what's, it's just amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So this is great. So, okay. So we're going to go on to our next part of the show. Where we're going to talk about food now. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting. My favorite subject. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're, every week we have a dish of the week, and I know you said you're vegan, right? Most okay. of the time. I do Most eat chicken of the time. every now and then, but no like problem. 90% vegan. 
vegan yeah sounds awesome um so i was like let me pick a dish for her that's vegan and i know you recently went to egypt i did yes i saw your pictures on instagram beautiful so i was like all right we're gonna do some egyptian food because you'll see why we're also talking about some egyptian stuff later on so i found this dish that sounds really good it's called foul mudma mudmas foul mudmas i phonetically wrote it out sorry to anybody who actually speaks arabic i apologize i am not an arabic speaker um so this is basically stewed flava beans which are broad beans and it's typically seasoned with a little ground cumin finished with extra olive oil and in egypt they serve it with warm pita bread and they sometimes jazz it up with like lemon juice fresh veggies and herbs and um i got this all from the website called the mediterranean dish all the links to everything i talk about will be in the show notes oh you're amazing <laughs> it sounds... i had that when i was in egypt and it is so good <laughs> okay so yeah i was like oh she probably had this because i think it yeah. said i don't know if it was egypt's national dish or just a really popular dish Very there. Common. yeah okay yes yeah. it sounds really really good so yeah you make it with a skillet and they warm it up with salt and cumin you use a potato masher to mash the beans and then with a mortar and pestle you have hot peppers and garlic and then you add the hot peppers and garlic to beans and then you have pita bread and you can put sliced veggies in it olives sounds freaking delicious (laughs) (laughs) so good you're making me hungry i know i was like oh this sounds so good so then to go with that we have our drink of the week and our drink of the week it's called salab and this is an egyptian hot creamy drink and this is also a vegan drink too so it's very also very popular apparently in turkey it's one fourth cup water one and a half tablespoons of corn flour one teaspoon of sugar one tablespoon sorry one teaspoon of rose water and cinnamon powder and crushed pistachios which also sounds really good. There is, when I was found this, I was like, I have to mention this. I live in New Jersey. There is a Persian restaurant in Morristown, New Jersey, and they serve rose water ice cream. Oh, it's amazing. Really the first time I went there, I was like, I'll try it. It was so good. I have to go back because it's like wow. a problem. It's so good. Oh um, my gosh. I'm like, I don't eat ice cream, but a, like a rose water gelato would be so mm, good. That oh, sounds really good. Doesn't that sound amazing? I'm going to have yes. to find out. I'm writing myself a note to find out how to make it. <laughs> I know. There's got to be a way. There has to be. Yeah. Anything so with, good. yeah, anything with rose water is good. Anyway, so, so those are our two dishes. So um, this is a point of the show where I tell you that if you are enjoying what I'm talking about, you can follow me on anywhere you follow, you get your podcast, you can subscribe, you can leave me a five-star rating if you really like the show. And you can follow me on any socials. I'm Dime with Divine on Instagram. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm Sankofa H-S, S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S on Instagram. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for the show, you can always email us at dinewiththedivinepod at gmail.com. And at the end, we're going to go into all of Joya's stuff so that you can follow her too. Now we'll get on to our next topic. Um, (laughs) So so this part of the show, I like to call it like tea time. So we kind of do like a little educational thing. So I looked up a bunch of stuff. Everything I looked up, like, and I was reading about you, and you mentioned earlier that you do a lot of work with Mary Magdalene or that you really enjoyed working with her. So I went on this deep dive 
on Mary Magdalene. And my God, I was shocked. <laughs> You're talking about my favorite subject. <laughs> okay. Awesome. This is so exciting. Okay. I was, okay. I furiously started texting my friend who is um, very Catholic, um, but she's a like, very cool Catholic. She's very liberal. Um, and I was like, did you know that Mary Magdalene wasn't even a prostitute? And she's like, yes, Ashley, everybody knew this. And I was like, oh, great. Um, <laughs> I was like, I guess I have the last. Everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't yeah. actually say this, but the way She's like the nicest person on earth. But in my head, I'm like, she thinks I'm dumb, but she didn't. Um, she's so sweet. Um, <laughs> so basically, I found out that um, Mary of Magdala, which is like technically where she was from, is called Magdala. And it was a town near the, I'll find it in my notes. Just give me a minute. Anyway, that's the town she's from, if you didn't know, because I didn't. She is extremely misunderstood. And there's a lot of things we're going to go into it right now. So this is a quote from an article in the Smithsonian Magazine that I found. It's called, Who is Mary Magdalene by James Carroll? So I'm just gonna read this quote and then we're gonna talk more. So here we go, it starts with, from the New Testament, one can conclude that Mary of Magdala, her hometown, a village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, was a leading figure among those attracted to Jesus. When the men in that company abandoned him at his hour of moral danger, Mary of Magdala was one of the women who stayed with him, even to the crucifixion. She was present at the tomb, the first person whom Jesus appeared to after his resurrection, and the first to preach the quote-unquote good news of that miracle. These are among the few specific assertions made of Mary Magdalene in the Gospels. From other texts of the early Christian era, it seems that her status as a quote apostle in the years after Jesus's death rivaled even that of Peter. That prominence, that prominence derived from the intimacy of her relationship with Jesus, which according to some had a physical aspect, including kissing. Beginning with the threads of these few statements of the earliest Christian records dating to the first through third centuries, an elaborate tapestry was woven, leading to a portrait of St. Mary Magdalene in which most consequential note that she was a repugnant prostitute is almost certainly untrue. On the false note hangs the dual use to which her legend has been put ever since, discrediting sexuality in general and disempowering women in particular. So I read more into the article and I'll read more stuff later, but the first thing that made me angry, which is (laughs) I was like, what? So the first thing that made me angry is that like, Okay, let's talk about the first thing is that there's mad Marys in the Gospels. So there's multiple Marys. And they talk about in the article how Mary Magdalene, like the Gospels, which are the first four books of the New Testament. The canonical Gospels. Exactly. Yes. This, see, this is why I was like, I can't wait to talk to you about it because you know this way better than me. <laughs> this is great. I love that you know this and you're bringing it up. I'm so <laughs> Okay, I have good. no idea what we were going to talk about. So awesome. <laughs> good. That's why I like it to be a surprise. But I was like, okay, she knows a lot more about this than me, so we'll have a good conversation. Um, so they were written like 35, some 65 years after um, Christ was resurrected. So um, the thing is, if you think back 35 years, I'm like, oh, my memory might be a little hazy of what had happened. Now, it's not that everyone's memory, they didn't know what happened. But like I said, there's like five Marys hanging out. I'll tell you, hold on. We have 
Mary, who's Jesus's mom, everybody knows, Virgin Mary. Then we have Mary of Bethany, who is the sister of a different Mary and Lazarus. Then we have Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. And we have Mary, the wife of Clopas. And I don't know who Clopas is, but that's fine. She's somewhere in the gospels. So because we have, and then we have Mary Magdalene. Because there were so many Marys, they kind of mixed up some of the stories, kind of, and when we read it, we don't know which Mary sometimes they were really talking to because when they wrote everything down, their memory wasn't as clear as it was when it initially happened. So a lot of things kind of got mixed up and then Mary Magdalene's story kind of got mixed up in everybody else's story. So that's just part of it. Like there's a way more, but it's like, so we don't know purely like her line of what exactly happened with her, except for certain things we do know. She was the first person to see Jesus after he resurrected. And we know she was the last one to leave because she was a ride or die. She was like a friend, like no other. So the other thing is also if, so if anybody is listening to this and you guys don't know, when they made the Bible, there was tons of books in the Bible. Oh yeah. <laughs> there was mad books and we might just have an episode about that because it's, it's wild guys. <laughs> there was mad books. And they had to pick and choose which ones were going to be part of the official Bible. And that was uh, Constantine, I think. Correct. In the year 325. Perfect. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. I'm so bad with dates. Thank you. You're the best. Um, <laughs> I just I only remember people. I never remember dates. So, yeah. Oh, God. Joya, you're so great. Okay. So, uh, yes. So, Constantine, he had a council, correct, right? Yep. The Nicene uh, Yes, the Council of Nicaea, and they all decided which books were going to be in the Bible. Now, remember, there's two things at play here, more than two things, but two big things. Number one, we have to politically decide what's going to be in there, because we can't have people thinking they're too free, especially not ladies. You know, (laughs) we got to suppress the ladies a little bit. We can't do that. And also, we have to pick and choose what we want to translate, what sounds right to us. Oh, and the second, that brings me to the second thing, translation. A lot of things were not, okay. For instance, there's words in our language that maybe if you went to, I don't know, Mongolia, they don't have a word for, or they have words that we don't have words for. So we end up changing those words. Oh, very good example is right now I'm teaching like a a course on ancestor reverence. And the way we speak about ancestors in the Western world, we say worship, but it's not worship that you're trying to do. It's reverence saying like, oh, we revere these people, we respect them, but we don't have a proper word like they do in some cultures to describe how they treat their ancestors. So when early Christians went to these cultures, they're like, oh, they worship dead people, but that's not what they were doing. They made altars because they're like, no, these these are people who have died and they're closer to our creator than we are. So we just respect them. So it's that kind of thing. So when they had to translate the Bible, they had to translate it for political reasons. They had to translate it for what was going to work best for them. And then sometimes the translations weren't that great. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> It was translated from Aramaic to Greek to English. Yeah, hello, right? And then later on, Every 500 years, I think they say a language completely changes. 
So now you've translated it from three languages. Now you keep going, keep going, keep going. Then they translated probably to Latin because, you know, back then everybody was speaking Latin in the medieval times. There was only certain people, remember, back then who could even read. Right. So because, so because of that, everybody kind of got to say what they wanted. Like, oh, this is in the Bible. Oh, this is in the Bible. Like, well, because everybody couldn't read it. So anyway, this is the story of the Bible. So things got really muddied, right? Okay. So we find out later on also, Mary had a whole book. Yes. Yes. So let me find this in my notes because it was fascinating. There was a whole book for Mary, but then they kind of just didn't care about it. Like I said, there's a bunch of books they didn't add into the Bible, some stories. Definitely not the one from the female apostle. That was not getting in there. No, they said pardon. <laughs> we're taking that out and we're yeah. the prostitute instead. Yeah, absolutely. Because like what's easier? And then so there's a part in the, the Mary's part of the Bible where I can't find. Oh, well, what Mary says, she's talking to Peter. All right. Peter is one of the other apostles and the jealous apostle. Hello? Okay. I didn't even know. So Peter was like, okay. So Peter says to Mary in this line, he says, sister, we know that the savior loved you more than all other women. Tell us the words of which is savior that you remember the things which you know that we don't because we haven't heard them. So Mary responded, I will teach you about what is hidden from you. And she begins to speak all these words. So Mary starts, she had a vision. She's telling everybody, you guys, Jesus told me some stuff. It was wild. Let me tell you, guess who gets mad? Like you just said, Peter, because Peter's like, wait a minute. Are you telling me <laughs> that Jesus like you better than us? But then I think it was Simon. Yeah, I think Simon was like, wait, Peter, shut up. Because all she's doing is just if, if Jesus told her something worth of value, why can't she talk? Why are you getting mad? But Peter was mad. You bitch ass. It's okay. So, (laughs) sorry. No, I'm not trying to be rude. But he gets really mad. And then goes on to talk about all these other things. But kind of starts leaving Mary out of the narrative. Which is not fair. Hold on. There's so much here. I have to just talk about this other thing. So anyway. (laughs) So they leave Mary out of the narrative. They get rid of her book. Actually, her book turned up in like an Egyptian market in the late 1800s. I think it was 1895 and they found it, but it was all tattered. So they tried to retrieve it and translate it and they they have it. There is somebody who made a translation of it so you can find it. But again, they didn't include that in the Bible for obvious reasons because they were not gonna say that there is a woman who was allowed to be at that level with the apostles and They talk about in this article how there was actually a lot of people who were Jesus's friends. He had, they just kind of settled on the number 12, but they were like, he had a lot of men and women who were his friends who like hung out with him and really supported him. Yes. Yes. And so then we get to the part about the prostitute thing. All right, there's a couple things going on here. There is a part of Jesus's story where they talk about how he had some female attendants and each of the female attendants, he cast out demons from them. Right. 
But those demons, and they talk about, could have been physical ailments. They didn't necessarily have to be moral ailments. But in order to, again, suppress women, they have to boil them always down to the sexual part of them. So they're like, yeah, they're like, oh, she had a demon. It must have been because she was a, a whore. Like, no. Like, some of these people may have had illnesses, even something like a mental illness, maybe depression, things like that. And he healed them from that. But everything had to be boiled down to her sexuality because how dare she have be a more complex being than just being sexual. And the, <laughs> the other thing that makes me incredibly angry is that with all of this, you think like the church had such a chance to be liberal and to be, you know what I mean? Like such a chance to show that like women could be so many things, but instead they were like, no, 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 no. Because we don't want the ladies to think for themselves and we don't want them to want to be the Pope or be priests. And it's almost just silly and it's sad because this is thousands of years now of like the patriarchy in Christianity that has affected so many parts of the world that could have been so different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And um, so my trip that I went on to Egypt Mm -hmm. was actually in on a spiritual pilgrimage following Mary Magdalene, mm. because she was a sent priestess. She was a mirror for, mm. which is why the story in the Bible of her washing Jesus's feet in the oil with her hair. And they all got angry because how dare she use a whole jar of alabaster, <laughs> alabaster jar of oil on his feet. Who is this woman? Because and what she was doing was anointing him because spikenard is the oil that ushers your soul to the other side and so wow. since they knew he was going to be crucified she was anointing him for his upcoming journey <laughs> to yes. the other side and so you know she actually studied in the temple of isis mm. with the goddesses or the priestesses who studied sound there were sound healers who studied in egypt there were sent priestesses who studied in egypt mm. they were very revered women back in those days, they were healers and they studied at um, Alexandria. And so these women were very powerful women. They were very powerful women. And um, Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, was actually a, re- a rebel's port. I don't know if you read no, that part. I did not. Yes, it was where all of the outliers and rebels went who were rebelling against the government, who were like, they were fighting back. And if, so of course Jesus wound up there because Jesus was a rebel. He went yes. to start a revolution. And his revolution was teaching people to awaken. He was mm-hmm. teaching people to get in touch with God within themselves, that they have this power in them that they all have access to. Um, A lot of people believe that he and Mary Magdalene were actually married and that Mm -hmm. there's a child who came out of that wet that wedlock. Mary Magdalene actually fled uh, persecution after Jesus's death and she went to um, France. Mm -hmm. And so you can go to the caves there where she was and there's lots of churches there dedicated to her. And ironically, it's actually where uh, they believe that Mary Magdalene was not a white woman, which of course she wasn't. They were in the Middle East, so hello. <laughs> but that they have the Black Madonna there. Yes, so she, yes. And a lot of people believe that she actually originated from Ethiopia. 
that she was an Ethiopian priestess who traveled up to Egypt and to study Mm -hmm. in Egypt. Yeah. Wow. That makes, I mean, that makes sense to me. Makes sense to me too. (laughs) Yeah. Makes complete sense to me. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. yeah, It's, oh God, it's, it's, it's just fascinating because I'm like, after all this time, we're still not telling people this. I was like, nobody knows. Like, I mean, people know, obviously, but like, this isn't widely known stuff unless you look for it, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or, you know, somebody like Joya who knows about this stuff. Like, if you don't, <laughs> or my friend Jillian. For a long time. <laughs> and you know, there's actually a church window in Scotland that that was, uh, I think the church was built in the 1700s that depicts Jesus and Mary as husband and wife, and she's pregnant. Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, there's a lot, it's it's just, it's so controlled what they want you to know, but like, there's so much, if you just dig a little bit, now that I've done a little bit, like, not compared to what you've done, but like, done a tiny bit of research, I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> it opens up a rabbit hole of all of this information, and it does make you angry. It's like, ugh. All of this, all of this information has been so suppressed and the power of women and the power of sacred sexuality and the Mm -hmm. power that women have to, you know, that we are the activators of the men. We need each other, right? We need the divine and the divine masculine. And that like, you know, like when I was in, in Egypt and they were talking about Queen Nefertiti, that she was the favorite wife because of the fact that she was so enlightened and so wise. So the king relied on her so much for her wisdom because she imbued it to him just by the very nature of who she was. Yeah. And that's what women do. That's exactly what we do is imbue other people with the vibration of who we are. And men pick it up by osmosis of the women that they're around. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> You're very yeah. good at speaking. <laughs> this thing, the way you say things, it's like, yes. It's my passion. I love this topic. <laughs> I'm so happy. I love this topic. Yeah. Yes. And yes, everything you said, yes. And then also there's like another reason I, it's also in this article that I read, they talk about um, the reason they wanted to kind of sexualize her or make her seem like, and when I say sexualize, not in a good way, they wanted to make her seem like she was a degenerate or something that because sex is bad, I guess, to them because they want to be weird about it. But um, like, right. Um, yeah, I'm like, sex is fine, but I, whatever. Okay, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Um, but also because Jesus was so, he respected women so much. And he never looked at them as like, like I said before, he had all these followers and friends. They were women and men. He didn't treat them different because some were men and some were women. He didn't care. Yeah, no. And he was an Essene, right? He was from the Essene culture. And so in the Essene communities, men and women were totally equal. Mm-hmm. They all sat around having intellectual discourse and talking about things and learning and studying the ways of nature. They actually were followers of, of what they called the way. Mm. And they, knew, they knew things that we now verify, of course, with science and with psychology. Like they knew to keep your mind and your thoughts occupied and busy and focusing on things. Otherwise, the mind left... Of, on its own just runs amok and it starts yes. believing itself instead of you start telling yourself a story and believing that story rather than you you consciously telling yourself what you want to think mm-hmm. and that's a totally different vibration right and so jesus 
actually came from that culture. He was in a scene. His parents were scenes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, that's why he met Mary the Magdala because she was a priestess. She worked in the same kind of field of energy work. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love this. Um, but okay. So everybody, this is my thing. If you don't know all this stuff, please look it up. Um, like I said, I have two articles on there. One's from the Smithsonian and one is from somebody who is a doctor of, I think, religion in Canada. I found a really good article that she wrote. So there's tons of information about this out there. If you're interested in reading more about Mary Magdalene. Um, Dr. Elaine Pagels also, P-A-G-E-L-S. She's phenomenal. And she's the one who interpreted the books of... Um, the Nag Hammadi scriptures. So she helped with the interpretations of those books that were found in Egypt. So she's, oh my gosh, she talks about Mary Magdalene so much and um, what the misappropriation of women, period, mm-hmm. who, how, you know, the power of women and how we were persecuted is, and put down and murdered for yeah. being witches, for being mm-hmm. witches, for being midwives, for being stewards of nature. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, so after this is done, I'm going to get the spelling for that, and I'm going to put a link to that person's page in there, too, awesome. so you guys can look stuff up. Okay, so because I don't want to, I want to honor your time, too, we're going to move on to our, our last topic here. So in this podcast, what I'm going to do is tell you a story, and because you went to Egypt, we're going to talk about Isis and Osiris. This Woo! is yes so this is a story and you may know the story a lot of people wearing a goddess isis necklace oh yeah (laughs) i'm so glad this is so okay this is fantastic i'm so happy okay i'm so happy this is working out okay so all right so you may have heard this story and there's different versions of this story everywhere but this is the story the version that i like and i kind of put different parts in it but i also put links to there's a big version of it on this podcast i listen to Called mythology so there's links in the show notes to that too so we'll talk about this is a story of isis and osiris well this is a story of everybody a lot of the egyptian gods so you're gonna see how this goes okay and here we go so in the beginning there was nothing okay nothing <laughs> and yeah <laughs> there was nothing and then we have autumn so there was a god named Atem, and he created himself out of literally nothing. So here's Atem walking around, and then he got bored one day, and he's like, I think I need other gods to hang out with, and I have none. I'm so bored. So Atem created two gods, Shu and Tefnut. Shu and Tefnut, Shu is a god now of air, and Tefnut became the goddess of water. And as was the tradition in Egypt, and you see it go on and on and on, we have brothers and sisters that get married and have kids. But at this point, there's only two people. What are you going to do? They kind of have to. <laughs> so they got together and they had two other kids. So they had Geb and they had Newt. Geb is the god of the earth. Newt is the god of the sky, goddess of the sky. So at this point, Atem's watching his kids and his grandkids running around. And he's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy. I love them so much. So great. So here we go. Atem's tearing. And all of a sudden, I don't know, he's a god, so his tears create people. Great. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I can't even. So so now he has people. And the people are walking around, and they're having a great time, and everybody's fine. Um, but then Atem got pissed off because he's like, you know what? These people aren't 
worshiping me the way I thought they were gonna. <laughs> He's like, what? what's going on? I thought they were gonna be creating temples and giving me offerings and they're just down there laughing and they're not talking to me. So you know what? I've decided I'm gonna torture them. Like, okay, bro, that was a lot, but okay. So he gets his granddaughter, Newt, who's the goddess of the sky. And he's like, Newt, you're going to do something for me. You're going to make the day, you're going to make the sky so clear. And you're going to make my rays so powerful that it's just going to burn people and dry up all the water. Newt was like, I really don't feel like doing this right now. And he's like, well, you have to, because you're my granddaughter and I'm, I created myself out of nothing. So you better do it. And she's like, fine. (laughs) He's like, okay, fine. So she does it. So she's doing this for a while. She's like, I really hate doing this, but I'm doing it. And then after a while, Autem then gets mad at Newt because he's like, whoa, Newt is like super powerful. And one day she could maybe have kids that are more powerful than me. So he's like, okay, Newt, I have a decree. You can't have kids on any day of the year. And Newt was like, what? That's so weird. Okay. So he's like, yep, that's what I'm telling you. And that's the rule. So what did Newt do? She's a goddess of the sky. She's like, I think I'm just going to make more days. So she did. (laughs) She's like, I'm just going to make more days. So she made three more days. So on the first day, she had a little baby boy and his name was Osiris. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, all the gods heard a voice. They don't know where this voice came from. And it said, this is the lord of all and he's going to be a great and loved king nobody knows where this voice came from but now Atem is scared because Atem has never heard this voice he doesn't know what's going on but he realizes like ooh, or cyrus might take over from me but i'm just not gonna worry about this right now so then the next day she had two twins isis and the bet head so isis and the Bethet were complete opposites in every way. Isis was loving and kind. She's the goddess of magic, the goddess of nature, of healing. And the Bethet didn't really care about anything. She was kind of just into herself. She wasn't really bad, but she just didn't care. Like she wasn't really into anything. She's like, whatever, I'm just here. I'm also a goddess, which is cool, but I'm just like, whatever, I'm for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so then on the third day, She had another baby and this baby's name was Set. And Set was kind of a jerk. He loved to play tricks on the other gods. He loved to run around and um, just cause chaos all the time. And everybody knew this, but they just kind of let him do it because they didn't know what else to do. And he's a god, how much can you do? So again, as was the custom, uh, Osiris ended up marrying Isis and the Bethet ended up marrying Set. Um, because Osiris also was super, super sweet. Again, the opposite of his brother, Set. And um, so they got married. Now, life is going on. And because Isis is such a, like, a sweet and good person, and so was Osiris, they both really hated the fact that Atem was torturing people. He's like, there's no reason for this. Like, this is terrible. So... One day, Isis is just chilling, like in the palace or wherever. And the Bethet was like, hey, Isis, I heard some tea. And Isis is like, what is it? And she's like, great grandfather has a secret name. And she's like, what? He's like, yep, he has a secret name. And if you say it, something's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> she's like, but <laughs> I 
I heard stuff goes down if you say it. So Isis is like, well, what is it? And she's like, I don't know. You have to ask him. Isis is like, fine. So Isis gets to thinking, hmm, maybe. Isis is super nice, but she also is sick of people being tortured. So she's like, maybe if I find out the secret name, I can get him to start tor- stop torturing these people. Fine. So at this point, Atem's kind of old. So he has to cross the sky day, day, night from east to west, east to west, east to west every day. He's tired. So one day he's like going across the sky and he drools a little bit. And I guess God drool is like super powerful because <laughs> Isis, she goes and collects some of it and she makes a snake. So she goes to see her granddad. He's like resting because he's so tired of being the son all day. It's exhausting. And she's like, hey, granddad, what's going on? Great grandfather. He's like, oh, I'm good. What's up? And she's like, hey, um, yeah, how's your day? He's like, oh, it was fine. Oh, oh, oh my God. And he starts screaming. What's going on? The snake bit him. Now he's screaming. I says, you got to help me. You got to help me. Oh, my God. I'm so scared. Oh, my God. The snake bite hurts so much. And she's like, I'll help you. But you got to tell me your secret name. And he's like, what secret name? I have a secret name. And she's like, you sure do. Tell me and I will help you. I promise I will heal you. So Atem thought about it and he's like, I can't, I can't tell you. So she turns around and walks away and he's like, no, 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 wait, 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 I'll tell you. He tells her and he's like, okay, my secret name, it's not really a name, it's a sound. She's like, I don't care, just tell me what it is. And he's like, it's raw. And she's like, and then all of a sudden, all of Atem's powers go to Isis. She feels it. Atem loses his powers. He's still God, but he loses his powers. So now Isis has all these powers and she's like, oh my God, this is great. So she goes to Osiris and she's like, Osiris, we're gonna clean up shop. We're gonna fix the people. I'm gonna get them medicine. And I, Osiris is like, great, I'm gonna help them make wheat and stuff. Like, let's do it. So they get on and they start making stuff for people and trying to help them. Okay. Now, at this point, they've been doing this for a little while and now this is going to be a weird interlude to the story but we're going to come back to it so just stay with me you're going to be like why are you telling us this okay so one night osiris is telling isis oh my god i made this thing it's like a drink but you it's like wheat but it's fermented and like it's really cool and i'm gonna go show the humans and isis was like fine i'm exhausted i'm going to bed you can go show the humans i'll see you in the morning she goes to bed wakes up in the morning nimbet hat is on her couch and she goes and to nip ahead. She's like, hey, what's up? Why are you here? She's like, oh, um, I slept here last night. And she's like, what? And she's like, yeah, I slept here last night. Uh, me and Seth got in a fight. So I came here and I got to tell you something. And she's like, okay, what? And she's like, uh, I slept with Osiris. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, like, you know, he was showing me this drink thing that he made and he was acting all goofy and then he kind of thought that I was you because we're twins and then I just let him think that and then we had sex and she's like what <laughs> so she's like really mad but Isis also being the goddess of compassion was like okay Osiris didn't know it was you he thought it was me so I can't be that mad at him I'm kind of mad at you but you're my sister so I'm gonna I'm gonna get over it so she did. Again, that's a weird interlude, but it will come up again. <laughs> so now Osiris, he just left for 10 years. He decided to go to other countries. Yes, I know. This is so random. It's like 
that morning he was like, you know what? I'm going to go across the world and teach people how to make wheat and bread and all this stuff. He's gone for 10 years. Yeah. He's like, I got to take my beer to everybody. My micro brew. I've got to advertise it. (laughs) So he goes. And Isis is like, "Uh, okay, cool. But she loves him and he loves her. It's not a problem. So Osiris is gone for all this time. And Isis is healing people. Osiris is bringing everybody wheat beer. And then he gets back. (laughs) And all this time, oh, also, Set is getting angrier and angrier. Because all the people of Egypt love Osiris. And they can't wait for him to come back. And Isis is is ruling in his his leave. And people really like her. So it's not a problem. But they just can't wait for Osiris to come back because he's awesome. So Set gets mad because he doesn't want everyone to like Osiris. He wants everyone to like him, but nobody likes him. So he amasses all these followers and all his followers are kind of like seedy people, thieves, um, just be mischievous people. And he's got a plan because he's like, let's see when Osiris gets back. I don't, I don't like him. I'm going to figure this out. So Osiris gets back. And when he gets back, Set is like, Osiris, oh, my God, I'm so happy you're here. And Osiris is like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to see you. I got to go see my wife, though. I can't just see you. Like, I haven't seen her for 10 years. He's like, okay, bro, that's fine. But like, first I have, I still have a whole party for you. Please come and like, I'll tell Isis, she'll come over. It won't be a big deal. Just come to the party. And Osiris is like, okay, fine. I'll come with you. Gets to the party. The party is fun. The music is playing. The wine is flowing. Everyone's having a good time. Then all of a sudden Seth's like, oh, I forgot. You guys were going to have a contest. And Osiris is like, contest? This is weird. Okay, whatever. He brings out this beautiful box, gorgeous box. And Osiris is like, whoever can fit in the box perfectly can take the box. And Osiris is like, okay, cool. So everyone's trying, trying. Some are too big, some are too small, some are too short, some are too tall. And then finally, Osiris is like, wow, this is kind of fun. Like, I want to try. And Seth's like, no, you're the king. You can't try. It's not fair if you win the box. He's like, no, just let me try. It'll be fun. So Osiris leaves in the box, and of course, it's perfect because he made it for Osiris, okay? Now, lays Osiris in the box, and he slams it down, closes them in it, covers it with lead. Osiris is beating against the boss, trying to get out, and even though Osiris is a god, apparently he can die in this box. I don't know how that works. This is Egyptian mythology. I didn't come up with it. (laughs) So (laughs) Osiris dies in the box now, and... Set goes and he takes the box with his people and he throws it in the Nile. Meanwhile, Isis is like, she doesn't know what's going on, but she heard that Isis that Osiris got back. So she's wondering where he's at. So she goes and she finds Set and she's like, Set, what's up? Like, have you seen Osiris? And he's like, Oh yeah, I saw Osiris. He dead. And she's like, Wait, what? And he's like, Yep, I killed him. And she said, What? She's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's dead. I threw him in the Nile. I'm the king now. Sorry. Okay, bye. And then he runs away. And she's like, what? (laughs) She's so upset. Yeah, she's really, really upset. So now she's like, oh my God. So now she spends the next 10-ish years looking for Osiris. Because she's like, look, I'm the goddess of magic. If anybody can bring him back to life, I can. I just got to find him. I don't know where he is. So she goes to this land called Byblos. It's in a different part of Egypt than she is. And she hears a story about a box that got stuck in a bush. 
and then a tree grew around the bush and then they used that tree in the palace so long story short about the palace she ends up becoming a maid she gets in the palace she breaks in she gets the pillar and she leaves we're not going to go into that story because it's too long so (laughs) so anyway just know she got it back (laughs) so she gets back the box so she's traveling down the Nile with her box now she gets back to her part of egypt so she's like okay i'm here i gotta get stuff for the ritual to bring back osiris but the thing is egypt has changed in the past 10 years she's been away looking for him she's got to go kind of farther to find stuff meanwhile set has everybody hates Set. he's not a good king but people are just doing whatever he does because he's a king so set has set out set has set set has set out guards all over to monitor Egypt and see where Isis is going to be. So here comes Isis. Now she's looking for stuff and they were telling, they go back and report to Set. Isis is getting all these different kinds of herbs. I don't know what's going on. So what does Set go straight to her palace and he sees the box right as isis is coming back and he's like hey isis and she's like oh hey and he's like what's over there and she's like what's over where he's like over there what's that box she's like what box and he's like stop it i see your box she's like set stop like let's just end this he's like no we're not going to end anything so he takes out his knife and he starts cutting the box and he cuts it into 14 pieces and he specifically takes osiris's penis and he takes it and goes to one part of the river and he throws it in and watches alligators eat it because without his penis, he can't have a baby. So Isis loses it. She starts screaming, screaming so loud that she, like there's an earthquake in the world. Seth, Lee, Seth leaves, he doesn't care. So after all this screaming, everybody heard it. So Nebethet came by and she's like, what's up? What's going on? She's like, Oh, you're here to make fun of me? Nebethet's like, I'm making fun of what? I don't even know what's going on. She's like, so she tells Nebethet what happened. And she's like, oh, God. All right, I'm going to help you. And Isis says, you're really going to help me? She's like, yes, I'm going to help you. We're going to go find. Oh, by the way, Set took all the other pieces of Osiris and told them to scatter it all around Egypt so that Isis couldn't find them. So she's like, I'm going to help you. So she's like, what we're going to do is we're going to make tracking dogs that can find Osiris anywhere in Egypt. Isis is like, okay, fine. So they do. So they spend a couple days. It doesn't take them that long. And they find all 13 pieces of Osiris. And what Isis thought was a good idea, which is a really good idea. She's like, what we're going to do is every single time we find a piece of Osiris, we're going to build a temple there for Osiris. Because that way, Set will never know where his whole body is. We'll confuse him. So Nebethet was like, all right, sounds like a good idea. We're goddesses. We can make this happen very quickly. So they do it. So now they have all the pieces. And they're putting them together. And all of a sudden, out of the woods, wherever they were, comes this boy with a dog head. <laughs> I was like, who's this boy? And the boy is like, hey, and then they're like, hey, you're a boy with a dog head. We don't know what's going on. And he's like, oh, my God. And then Nebethet is grossed out. She's like, get away from me, blah, blah, blah. And Isis is like, what is the problem? Why are you freaking out? And she goes, oh, by the way, that's my baby that I had with Osiris that time. 
Everyone is confused. Everyone's like, <laughs> Isis is like, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I had this baby, but he had a dog head and I don't like it. So I just threw it in the woods. And she's like, oh. but then, so she, at this point, Nabeha just leaves. She's just like, I'm going home. <laughs> I'm so I'm like, you're not that great of a sister all the time. Sometimes you have to be nicer to her. Um, but anyway, Isis felt terrible for um, this little boy with a dog head. And she's like, listen, I'll take you in. Like, you're going to be my my assistant from now on. So she named him Anubis. And this was her best assistant servant. And he served her for the rest of her life. All right. That's another weird part of the story, but it happened. Um, so... At this point now, she put Osiris back together. She used oils. She used linens to cover him. Oils, she rubbed them on his body. And she did certain rituals. So this is considered the first mummy. It was Osiris. And the box he was in was the first sarcophagus. So after this, she brought Osiris back to life. But the spell that she used, she said it could only work for a few minutes. So she brought him back to life. She held him. She was like, oh, you know, they were talking. I love you. I love you. Love you. Oh, the other thing is Osiris's soul could not go to where it needed to go unless it was whole. So basically, for some reason, they didn't need the penis part. That was fine. But the rest of his body had to be together. (laughs) So she did it it was fine so she's like all right great i'll get you alive for a couple minutes so i can talk to you then you can go into your spirit form and you'll be fine so in those couple minutes because he was a spirit and because isis i guess is a goddess she had a baby she she got (laughs) pregnant and everything was great so she got pregnant and she had a baby and she named that baby horus and he had a falcon head now she raised horus and anubis And she raised Horus up because she wanted him to fight Set and like bring back their family's honor. And because Osiris was in spirit form, sometimes he could come back and he was also training Horus. The other thing Osiris did was that the gods kind of felt bad for Osiris because he didn't like, he, he got murdered by another god. Like it was too much. So they're like, we should give him like a good position. So they're like, Osiris, we have a vacancy. We need you to be the king of the underworld. And Isis was like, don't be the king of the underworld. That sounds like a lot of work. And he's like, no, no, no. I went to the underworld, obviously, because I'm dead. And it's a mess down there. He's like, basically, the only people who could go to like the cool part of the underworld were kings because they were kings. People who are just normal people weren't allowed to go because they couldn't be judged. And Ice, uh, Osiris's job was to judge the dead. He's like, when I go down there, I'm going to judge everybody so I can pick who gets to go and who gets to come. But it doesn't matter if you're a king or a queen or a peasant. It doesn't matter. He made a list of 42 sins, unforgivable sins, and 10 of which are the Ten Commandments, actually. And the other 32 are different. But the person who died would have to memorize those 42 sins and be able to speak them to Osiris when they died and in like and be able to say that they didn't do any of those things. And that's how he judged them on whether or not they got to go to the good part or they had to roam around forever dead. So she's like, okay, you're doing something good for humanity. So go be a king of the dead. Okay, cool. So anyway, now we get back to what we're talking about. So (laughs) Osiris is teaching Horus to fight. 
and Horace is now getting older and he's ready. So Horace goes, he sets up a little bit of an army. He goes to Set and he's like, Set, you killed my dad? What's, what's the quote from the Princess Bride? He said, my name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. Yeah. <laughs> so that's basically what he did. So he went to him and they started fighting and they fought for like 80 years. They fought for time. And at one point now, they're both exhausted. They're like, this is crazy. We got to stop. So Set was like, all right, I have a plan. This is what we're going to do to stop this fight. We're both going to become hippos. And <laughs> he's like, we're both going to become hippos. And whoever can kill the other one under the water in the Nile will win. This is like... I love like mythology logic because you're like, how did they? <laughs> it's just so logical. It makes sense. <laughs> they're like, duh, we're just going to become hippos. So they're like, okay, fine. This sounds great. So they both became hippos and they went into the water. And for three months, they were under the water fighting. And then Isis got worried about Horus. She's like, oh my God, he's going to die under there. So she puts a giant hook in the water and she gets out Horus. And he's like, mom, I almost had him. Like, damn it, mom. <laughs> so he's super mad. So she she unhooks him and throws him back in. Then she gets another hook and she hooks Set. And Set's like, oh God. He's like, I was dying. Um, and then she's like, well, now I have you. I'm going to kill you. And Set's like, please, 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 please don't kill me. And Isis, again, being the goddess of compassion, is like, oh God, I can't actually kill you, even though I'm really mad at you. So he lets him go. So then they just, I guess they just had like a truce. They just, everybody stopped because this was crazy. So Horace comes up and Horace is like, mom, how dare you do that? You had to kill him and you didn't kill him. And he gets so mad that he cuts off Isis's head. <laughs> so now Isis is a headless stone. And because she's a goddess again, she can still talk. So she has to, like, she's talking. Somebody puts her head back on her body. And she's like, I'm going to turn myself into a statue because I feel terrible. And that's <laughs> just so weird. <laughs> So she does. So for a minute, Isis was a statue. Then the gods were like, please don't be a statue. We need you. You're the goddess of healing. Like everyone's going to be sick without you. So she comes back. But now there's just general strife. Everyone's mad at everybody. They don't know what to do. And they're mad at Horus more than Set. They're like, why did Horus try to kill Set? Blah, blah. So all the gods, Atem gets all the big gods together. And he's like, okay, we're going to have a meeting about what we're going to do with Horus. And they decided that Isis couldn't be part of the meeting, but Set could. And she's like, damn it, because Set's going to make it sound like Horus is the terrible one after what he did. So they had it on this specific island. And Isis, so Isis turned into a bird and she went to this island to spy. But then she's like, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to turn into a very pretty lady. So Set's waiting outside where they're having the meeting and she turns into this beautiful woman. She's just walking around and he's like, oh, excuse me, ma'am, how you doing? <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm so sad, I'm so upset. And he's like, what happened? She's like, well, I, my um, husband, my husband was this really good man and we had a farm and then my son took over the farm and he was doing a great job. And then his uncle came and his uncle took everything and like, I don't know what to do. And Seth's like, well, his uncle sounds like a jerk. You should kill the uncle and let the son rule the farm. And he and she turns back into Isis. She's like, ha ha, <laughs> it is I. <laughs> See, you want to be king, but Horus should be king because you're the bad one. 
and we're going to put Horace in. So then the whole council comes out and they're like, what's going on here? Uh, Isis is like, I just told him a story of basically what had just happened in our lives. And he admitted that Horace should be in charge and not him. And so the gods were like, okay, that's true. That's a good point. So they put Horace in and Horace with the falcon head became the first pharaoh because he ruled over all Egypt. And then because Set was so bad, but they couldn't kill him because he's a god, they decided to put him up in the sky. And that's why he's the king of thunder because he just gets pissed sometimes that he's still in the sky and he makes some noise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> I'm in the sky. This is so annoying. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. And then Isis lived to be very old and then she died and went to the afterlife and then she was with Osiris for the rest of her life and everything was fine after that. And that's the end. <laughs> Bravo, bravo. I love stories. That was so entertaining. <laughs> I'm so glad. I was like, I wish she was I wish you were our tour guide on Egypt. We would all have been like, oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I tried. But that's our story for today. So this now we're coming to the end, unfortunately, of our podcast. And we've just had such a great time talking with Joya. So Joya. Tell everybody where they can find you on the internet or anything you're doing that you want to talk about. You can just tell us now. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh, this has been so fun. And and I've actually found a recipe for the beans. I'm like, <laughs> I am gonna go home and make some of those beans. Yay! I'm gonna try to find those beans. I know. <laughs> find those beans. <laughs> First I have to find the beans. <laughs> and then I'm gonna make the beans. But thank you so much for inviting me. This has been so much fun. And you're such a great storyteller. It was so, so, so much fun to visit Egypt again like that. It reminded me of a drunk history story, except for you're not drunk and you're a storyteller. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. Oh, my gosh. So everybody can find me everywhere online at Vibology. It's V-I-B-O-L-O-G-I-E. And um, that's on Instagram, Facebook. My coach just told me I have to be on TikTok. She's like, you have to be on TikTok too. So I'm like, oh, it's another another thing. So you can find me on TikTok. <laughs> and also YouTube. And um, yeah, I pretty much just share everything I know, every bit of my wisdom, everything that I've learned, I teach. And on my website, I teach and offer uh, classes for expressive, I call it expressive and intuitive meditation for people who hate to meditate because <laughs> that coming into the self-awareness is the key, right? Mm -hmm. and, and most people don't wanna meditate. And you know, I just read an interesting statistic that said that most spiritual people and spiritual leaders, like only like 17% of them meditate regularly. It's such a low number. So I'm like, well, we need to change that. People need to be meditating. They need to be in, in the body, learning who they are, right? Becoming in, in awareness. So anyway, off my high horse, <laughs> I teach meditation for people who hate I love meditate. It. <laughs> and of course I lead spiritual journeys around the world for people who want to come, women who want to come and sing and drum and dance and get in touch with our divine feminine priestess energy. And in so many places around the world, you know, women were the drummers. You didn't even get into the story of Goddess Hathor, so I can't wait till you tell me. <laughs> like, wait, 
You didn't even talk about the Hathor. You didn't talk about his Hathor. I know. <laughs> that, that's coming up. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to hear how you tell her story. But it's her story, right? Not his story. Mm -hmm. Her story. Yes. <laughs> her story. Yes. But anyway, so yeah, I love to lead women on sacred journeys to go sing and drum and be in our our wild woman bodies and our and just in that energy of that priestess energy and feeling that that movement coming up from our sacral womb, our sacral womb up yes. through the up through the whole channel and through the throat. That's like that's how we speak. That's where we speak from. That's where we find our power. Yeah. So passionate about connecting women back to that source of their power. So yeah, you can find me everywhere at Vibology and my website is also vibology.com. V-I-B-O-L-O-G-I-E. Awesome. So all like I said, every link will be in the um show notes. Um and thank you again and uh again one more time if you guys want to listen to the show follow us on all the different apple spotify all that stuff you can follow the show um you can email me if you have any suggestions um at dine with the divine pod at gmail.com and again if you want to follow me i'm sankofa hs at sankofa healing sanctuary on facebook and so i just want to thank joya again this was so great and fun and she's been so patient i had some tough technical difficulties and she was very patient with me and i just really appreciate people for just being so kind so thank you so much oh, you're so thank well you. we are in mercury retrograde so <laughs> <laughs> okay. i'm like of course she's having fun Thank you so, so much. And then I will see all you guys next week.